less stress, and more peace. Less stress and more peace. Trust me, he says. Trust me. Less stress and more peace. We need to revisit where we spent a little time last Sunday because we just didn't get everything said that needed to be said last week. And so if some of this sounds a little repetitious, it, it, it is. It, it is. But I just don't think we can wear out the truths and the Word of God that encourage our hearts. And there are some things here that the Lord's saying. These are, these are the words of Jesus. And there's some things he's saying that are just so practical, that they're just so real, that if the Lord by his spirit can help us to get our hearts around these truths, they'll do just exactly what Jesus said they'll do. They'll set us free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So... One of our greatest challenges can be letting the truth in to take the place of some of the lies that we've been believing. Some of the lies that have been taught to us that we didn't even know were lies. We thought they were the truth. Only to find out later, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That truth isn't setting people free. That truth is binding people up. So that must not be the truth. The truth will set folks free. So let go with me again, if you will, to, to Matthew chapter 6 in your Bible. And I hope you have at least one Bible that you are wearing out, that you're marking up and underlining and putting dates and names out by the side of things where the Lord's spoken to you and encouraged you in how to pray for somebody. He's given you a sense of hope because of a, a word from his word. Just just make it a goal to, to just wear out a stack of Bibles in your lifetime. And, and I, I think that's one of the greatest treasures that parents and grandparents can leave to their children is a stack of worn-out Bibles. They will know how to find us when it comes their time to go if we have marked up a Bible and left it with those who come behind us. You will find me. You will see me again if you read this book and you read what I underline. Well, that was, that was free. I didn't, it didn't cost you anything. Your Bible, your marked up Bible. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is speaking. Now, now let me tell you, he, he's not saying this just to his 12 disciples, okay? He's not speaking these words, one to the ones who were just the closest to him. These are words taken from what is called the Sermon on the Mount, where he backed up on the side of a hill where the folks could see him and hear him, and there were all kinds of people here. There were kids, there were children, there were 
mamas with babies, there were businessmen, there were young couples, there were older folks, there were single people, there were religious people that thought they had all the understanding that it's possible somebody to get from the Bible written up until that time. And then there were folks who just, it was just a crowd. It was just a get-together. Let's go see and hear who this Jesus of Nazareth is. Very secular, very casual, all kinds of people. But into that group of all kinds of people, the Jesus who knows and understands and cares about all kinds of people speaks some things that were relevant to all kinds of people. So don't check yourself out by saying, well, I'm not religious or I don't know the Bible or this is my first time to ever be in this building and I don't know who these people are. Or, well, I've just, I've read this so many times it can't say anything fresh to me. Just know that the Jesus who spoke these words is still speaking these words today and he's still speaking words that will set captives free. So with that, with that as a background, let's look at it. For this reason, Jesus says, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food? And is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? Can I just put that in South Texas talk? And which one of you, stewing and worrying and fretting and anxious about all the things that you have to worry about in your life, can expect that from all of that worrying, it's going to add 18 inches to the length of your life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory wasn't ever clothed like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then. Now the word for anxious means stirred up, cooking, like, like a skillet, like a skillet that's frying eggs or bacon. The, the, you know, the, let's do the bacon first. The bacon get and, it gets, and, and that grease gets to popping, gets to popping. You know that? You get that picture? And it pops on you, and you got to get a dish towel or something to cover that while you're turning that crazy bacon. Don't let, you, don't let your life turn into a skillet of bacon, you know? 
I know he didn't say that, but I think that, that's the meaning of that heart of that word. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things, the Gentiles, those who don't really know God, they may know about him, but they don't really know him. All these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But here's what you do. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. So he's saying we've got the option of letting the cares of this world, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to clothe ourselves with, what our shelter is going to be. We have the option of letting the concerns about those things consume us. And in a sense, own us. And in a further sense, define us. Or we have the option, and it is an option, it is a choice, it is a decision to be made to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things shall be added unto you. The, the place of less stress and the place of more peace is the place where all these things are being added unto us instead of us living our lives as if we are our sole provider. We're the only one who can take care of us. The words of Jesus flies directly in the face of that thought. That there's nobody who will take care of you but you. That there's nobody who will be there for you if you aren't there for yourself. Now here's the challenge. The followers of Jesus live in two realms. We live in the visible realm but we also live in the invisible realm. And what the Savior is saying, who's the Lord on both sides of the river, he's saying, you put your trust in me. You honor me, and I will take care of you. You are not an orphan. You have not been abandoned. You are not a discard. You are not a reject. You are not a nothing. You are my child. I chose you. I picked you out. I have adopted you into my family because I wanted you. And every last one of God's children are adopted children. 
There's nobody naturally born into the family of God. We're all creations of God. But the Bible says in John 1.12, but to as many as receive Jesus, receive Jesus Christ as their own, as their Savior, as their Rescuer, to as many as receive Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. So when that step has been taken and that decision has been made, it's just confirming what has already been in process for many, many, many years before we were ever born, before our mothers even knew we were coming. Chosen in Christ, it says, before the foundation of the world. And times pass and things unfold and we come to the place of realizing that I need Christ in my heart. I need I need to be forgiven. I want Jesus to live in me. However you got there, but they didn't just start there. That wasn't the first time God thought of you. That wasn't the first time that Jesus ever had you on his mind. You were chosen, picked out because you were wanted in Christ before there was dirt in San Antonio. And so he says to those who are his own, he says to those who are his own, in a sense, you're not brand new to me. There's nothing about you that surprises me. I've known you all the way along. And I'm telling to you, if you will honor me, I will take care of you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things. Have been. So last week we were talking about, so what, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Seek first in order of sequence, but f- seek first in, in prominence. Seek first and most my kingdom. We, we talked about that you can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. You have to have a king. So he's, he's saying first and foremost, you seek first and most the presence of the king. You seek my presence. You, you look for, you crave, you desire. And for him to put it in the form of a command means, folks, listen, we've got permission, not only encouragement to do that, but we've got permission. It's not just a command, it's permission that I have a right to wake up in the morning longing for the felt presence of my king, whose name is Jesus. And the Lord knows that, see, the Lord knows that it's not enough to just give us information or give us instructions or even commandments. He knows He knows you and he knows me that in time we're going to do what we want to do. Not what we think we ought to do. That'll last for a while. Or what we're afraid to do or not do because of the consequences. That can last for a while. But what has to happen is 
My want to has got to change. My desires have to change. When he took you on as his responsibility, he knew the levels of your desire. He knew the power of your passions. He knew the strength of your logic, of your will. When he took you on, he took on the responsibility of shaping you, reshaping you and me into the very image of Jesus Christ. So that out from his heart, our hearts operate. Out of our hearts, his heart flows. David said, David said this, I will run the way of your commandment because you will enlarge my heart. Now, isn't that something? David knew it about himself. I'm not going to stay on this track of chasing down your commandments and obeying you come hell or high water. I know me. I can be a chicken. I can be weak. I can vacillate. But here's what's true, God. I will run the way of your commandments as you enlarge my heart, as you put it in my heart to do those things. Okay, so Jesus says, you seek first my kingdom. He's saying you, you seek my presence. You have the permission to long for, to look for, to crave, to zealously desire my presence. But another part of that seeking the kingdom is to seek the things that please the king. A craving to please the king. Lord, I I need you to help me to want to do what pleases you. And you know how this pulls on me. And you know how that can draw me. You know how this can make me mad. And how this can make me glad. Lord, I'm asking you as I seek your kingdom. I'm asking you to put in my heart the kind of desires that please you. Folks, listen, listen. The living Lord Jesus Christ knows that it's a waste of time to just keep setting bars of behavior. You got to do this or you flunk. You got to do this, you won't pass. You got to do this. He knows, he knows how we're made. He knows what we're capable of. He knows that it doesn't do a lot of good to just keep stacking rules up in front of people because there's something inside of us that is predisposed to enjoy breaking rules. And we're not proud of that. So what does he do? We're going to get to that here in a second. But he, 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 he has the way of putting in us over time, changing us, shaping us so that we desire to do what pleases him. I'm, I'm talking to some folks that are saying, preacher, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You just need to know what I was 20 years ago. The last place I'd be on a cold Sunday morning would be sitting in a church house in a pew. I'd had, I had 40 different reasons as to why I just needed to not even think about church. Roll over, go to bed, wake up in time for the kickoff for the playoffs this afternoon. That's all that mattered to my life. But what's happened is that over time, Lord, 
you've awakened some desires in my heart that I didn't even know were there. I didn't even know it'd be possible so that I'm not, I don't have a marked up Bible because somebody made me. I'm not sitting in a church I have Christian friends because somebody stuck a 357 to my head and said, you make new friends. I'm living where I'm living and I'm doing what I'm doing because you are changing my heart. Keep doing what pleases you. The kingdom, seeking first the kingdom, it's seeking the presence of the king, but it's, but it's also seeking what pleases the king. And then that, that third thing we talked about last week was it, it's knowing that we have permission to ask for the power that only the king can release to enable us to do these things just mentioned, but also to do these things as Acts 1-8 talks about, that we'd be bear, able to bear witness of Jesus. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of mine right where you live and all the places I send you to people you know and to people you don't know. There's going to be something about you that will remind them of me. It won't just be the words coming out of your mouth. They won't just, you won't just be parroting scripture or quoting some plan of salvation, all of which would be true, but there's going to be something working on the inside of you. So that when folks look at you, it's going to be like they're looking through one set of eyes, looking at another set of eyes, and that inside set of eyes will be my eyes looking out through you, and my heart working out through you, and my hands blessing and touching and serving out through you. Power to be a witness. So the presence of the king, seeking his presence, seeking to pursue what pleases him. We quoted that Micah 6, 8. It's a summary, powerful summary verse of what pleases or what does the Lord require of you, old man? Three things, but to do justly, to do what's right as far as what God calls right, to do what's right because it's right, not because it's necessarily popular or it's necessarily easy or necessarily makes sense to some of our distorted reasoning. Here's what pleases God. You just haul off and do what's right with the choices in your life that honors him. And to love mercy, to love mercy, to love it, to love mercy. Not just think that's a nice thing for somebody to do, but when you see mercy coming, you love seeing it coming. When you see mercy actively operating in somebody's life, even though they may be your enemy, you love mercy. It doesn't say love the wrath of God, love the judgment of God, love the separation that sometimes happens between darkness and light. Graphically demonstrated, he said, when I see you loving mercy, that pleases me. Folks, listen, if God didn't love mercy, you and I, none of us would be righteous enough, good enough to have any sense of having an audience in his presence. That's his heart. That pleases him. 
kindness. But then that last one is to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly. Walk under the covering of your God. Walk under the covering. Peter would put it in the way we've quoted often. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. His delight is not in seeing us suffer. His delight is not in seeing us having to chafe under the difficult circumstances and, and painful settings that we may find ourselves in. But if that is all a part of the process of his doing the further work, the greater work of bringing us into the image of Christ, of accomplishing through us in the lives of people that we're touching because we're still staying under that mighty hand, that choice of God for us for that season of time. And it's not so much about us being blessed as it is about other people being blessed through us. And the end being, and he will, he will exalt you at the proper time. There's a lifting up, there's a bringing out, there's a carrying through that's coming. Stay under. That pleases him because he's saying, Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you. Lord, there's some of this that you know hurts me. You feel, I feel like the, enemy's, the enemy is punching below the belt. It's unfair blows he's leveling at me, but I trust you. With my last breath, I want you just to hear me say, Lord, I trust you. I'm counting on you. I'm relying on you, folks. When the Lord sees that kind of heart, the pleasure rises up within him, the rejoicing rises up within him, and there will come a time when everything that is in, in his heart to pour out upon that life will come to fruition. It will happen. He has a time. He has a season. It's coming. But what I want to talk a little further about this morning is his presence. Let me ask you this question. Where on earth is the presence of the king to be found? If we're saying, seek first my kingdom, and we're saying that you can't have a kingdom without a king, so we're seeking the presence of the king. Where then you going to find the king? Where is he? Is it in religious art? Is he in Christian places? Is he to be found in the writings, sacred writings, and so forth? Where today is the presence of the king? Where today is the presence of the king? Let me suggest that side one more time. Where today is the presence of the king? of the king. Now to answer that question, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible. If you didn't bring one, look on on your neighbors, and if your neighbor is asleep, just take their Bible from them. <laughs> and we'll use that Bible this morning. Go to the Genesis, Exodus, the book of Exodus, and verse chapter 25. Exodus 25 the Lord is giving to Moses instructions about the building of the tabernacle, which would be the temporary housing for the 
central worship of the Israeli people, the Jewish people. But inside that tabernacle, there was a very, very important place. Let me just start reading in verse 10. Exodus 25, verse 10. They shall construct an ark, a wooden box of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits high, wide, and one and a half cubits high. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out, you shall overlay it. And you shall make a gold molding around it. And you shall cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. Skip down to verse 18. And you shall make two cherubim, two angelic beings, the likenesses of angelic beings. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. And the faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you, the Ten Commandments. The tablets of the Ten Commandments would be put inside the ark. But look at verse 22. To Moses he says... And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. In those days, there was one spot And only one spot where God permanently manifested his presence. And it was as described here, in that space, that small gap between the two outstretched wings of the cherub. I will meet with you from between the wings of the cherub. I will speak to you there. It's important, Moses, that you know where I am, that you be able to find me, because not only are you going to need me, but I want to meet with you from between the wings of the cherubim. I want you to leave there and go to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Now stay with me. We're headed somewhere. Followers of Jesus, lovers of Jesus, born again children of God, you need to know this and be able to track this. So where is the king to be found today? 
In these days, he was to be found between the wings of the cherubim and was going to be, that was put in the, in the tabernacle, which was a tent that moved as the people moved. But the day would come when the kingdom would be established and King David was the one who had the heart to build a temple that would be worthy of the God whom the people of God served and followed, but he was not allowed to build it. His son would build it. Solomon would build it. And it was an amazingly lavish wonder of the ancient world. Second Chronicles chapter 5, thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and all the utensils, and put them in the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's households of the sons of Israel, to bring up the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves to the king at the feast. And then all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils which were in the tent, the Levitical priests brought them up. Verse 7. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house in the holy of holies under the wings of the cherubim. Solomon had crafted two massive cherubim that would be replicas of the smaller cherubim that were affixed to the mercy seat on top of the ark. This would be a solid gold room, no windows, no candles, no lamps. This massively thick and tall veil was constructed so that it would separate the most holy place or the holy, of, the holy of holies from the outer courts. But it was absolutely dark except for the one place between the wings of the cherubim, the glow of the Shekinah glory of God was found. Once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter through that veil with a rope tied to his leg in the event that there was some unconfessed sin in his life that he had not gotten right with God before he went in as representative of the people to make atonement for the sins of the people putting a blood sacrifice, the blood from a sacrifice on the, on the ark. The only way he could see his way around was the glow of the presence of God. He carried no lamp. He carried no candle. One day out of the year, Entering into the presence of God on this earth, the high priest would go and make atonement for the sins of the people. And if you look down 
2 Chronicles chapter 5 again and verse 11, and when the priest came forth from the holy place, verse 12, and all the Levitical singers, their names and their sons and kinsmen clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets, and in unison with the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, saying, He indeed is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. It says then that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now hold on to that. Hold on to that. The glory of God filled the house of God. Where was God in the old covenant? Between the wings of the cherub. Wherever the ark was positioned. Between the wings of the cherub. But what happened to the glory of God? What happened to the presence of God on this earth? When the Romans came in centuries later and destroyed the temple. Who knows where the Ark of the Covenant went? Was it destroyed? Was it hidden? Is it still there somewhere? Or was it just melted and used for pagan idolatry? Nobody knows. Where today is the presence of God? Where today is the presence of the same one who when he makes his presence more fully known, not even priests can stand to minister. In his presence. So we move over to the New Covenant, to the New Testament. I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Paul is writing, and he's He's burdened for these Corinthian Christians because they were getting caught up in this mixture of some religion versus the one true walk with God through Christ. And it was a hard thing for them because if you were a part of the pagan religion in those days, a part of what you did was you were engaging in worship, so it's so called, with cult. Prostitutes, temple prostitutes, sexual orgies were just the way you worshiped, the way you did church. So here Paul says in verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Folks, listen. We're not going to find him. We're not going to find him in religious architecture. There may be a sense of 
nostalgia. There may be a sense of interest, and the beauty of it may blow us away. But the scripture is clear. Inside your chest, inside your heart, wherever you go, whoever you're with, however long the struggles may be, you are walking, talking, breathing, temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. So listen, don't brush that off. Oh, well, preachers are supposed to live that way or Mother Teresa is supposed to. No, no. If those around you, those around me are going to come in contact with the living God on this earth, they will come in contact with him or they won't come in contact with him by how much of him shines out of our lives. I say that too. You see, we, we live in two dimensions. The followers of Jesus, Christians live in two dimensions. We live in the dimension of the seeing or the visible and we live in the dimension of the unseen and the invisible. And the visible would like for you to think that it controls everything, that it determines the outcome of all things, when in reality, it's the invisible that determines where the visible is going to end up. So when we're told, you seek first my presence. You seek first the presence of the king. You don't have to go far, sister. You don't have to go to Jerusalem, brother. You don't have to find the statue of Mary holding baby Jesus. Paul said, to the Gentiles, of which most all of us, if not all of us are, we're not natural born Jews, Jewish people. He said, here's the mystery of the glory of God. Colossians 1. And the mystery of the glory of God is that it is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. All those verses about glory of God, glory of God coming so strong that the priests weren't able to minister. That exact same word is now attached to that which resides in the believer's heart. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, he knew exactly what he was saying. You seek my presence, and my presence is within you. You, you can be pulled on, tugged at by the things of this life that will cause you to be anxious and cause you to be nervous and cause you to be like bacon in a skillet. That's the same round. I want to give you four things, just real quick. I know it's time for me to hush, but I'll give you four things for less stress and more peace. Number one, step back. 
You've got the natural realm, the natural world chewing on you, pulling on you, phone call here, text that, email this other thing, board meeting here, upset group here, family, whatever they're doing, pulling at you. That's the scene realm. Brother, sister, there's another part of who you are. Step back. Step back. This is going to do what this is going to do. But Jesus is saying what this is doing doesn't have to own you. Doesn't have to suck the life out of you. Step back and into the presence of the king. You step back. You settle down. Soak it in. Let it soak. Lord, I need to know your presence. I need to know you're here. I just don't need to know it in my mind. I need to feel it. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you, if instead of slamming into the day, being waked up by TV or radio or a cell phone, and automatically, without ever stepping back, the world just begins to draw out of you all of the stuff that keeps us anxious and torn up. Before we ever let the world have a shot at us, step back, settle down, soak it in. The word is listen up. And then move ahead. Step back. Settle down. Nobody else in your watching world may have a clue what's going on with you. But if you don't want them to own you, if you don't want the cares of this world to take over your life, somewhere or another, you've got to disconnect from this life. You say, how is that humanly possible? We have the permission to ask the Lord for his power. Remember that? That's a part of the kingdom. Lord, I'm seeking from you not only your presence, but I'm standing here because I want to please you. And I'm here asking you for the power to sense your presence. Step back. Settle down. Listen up. And then enter in. Get back in that robe, put that outfit back on, get that boss hat on, get that employee shirt on, but enter in after you have sought first and most the presence of the King and wanting him to know and asking him to show you, Lord, what pleases you, what will please you. things that I'm engaged in today. And then enter. You may have to repeat that process a few times during the day because you got to meet with your boss or you got to meet with an investor or you got to deal with somebody who's just ticked off with the company and you're part of the company so they're mad at you. Who says that you have to just rush right in to the visible 
when Jesus is saying, I give you permission, but also give you the opportunity and the right to call on me to make my presence known to you. To remind you of who you are to me. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear in this place. But if I don't ever leave this place to back up to this place, I can remain a slave to fear and the opinions of people all the days of my life. You see, there's a difference between trust and faith. Faith is a wonderful generic term. I believe God. I believe you you died on the cross for my sins. I believe I'm going to heaven. Trust is I'm trusting him to take care of me between now and the end of the day. I'm trusting him. I'm relying on him. I'm not just believing in the big things. The trust means step back, settle down. I've got this meeting coming. I've got this situation out of handle. Lord, I am trusting you to give me what I need for that right there. Now, folks, if, if these truths are not portable, if these truths are not practical, you need to find another religion and find it quick because you spent a whole lot of time wasting your time. This isn't about just studying this in a Bible study, just hearing a preacher get excited about it. Literally and actually, powerfully and personally, Jesus has the ability to take stress and bring peace. And none of the circumstances may change. Faces may stay the same. Circumstances in many ways may stay the same. But what's happened is the circumstances aren't owning you anymore. The sense of his presence. Go back to that. I mentioned to you last week. Who is somebody in your life who, who, when you were around them, they didn't really have to say anything, but, but they were just bigger than you as far as a person goes. They, you respected them. They were, they were a person of, that you honored. And you were just amazed to, that they would even let you be in their presence and how the sense of their presence drew the better out of you, took you higher instead of pulled you lower. That's what this is talking about. It's the sense of the presence of the one. Whether he's speaking all the time and giving us audible impressions or all kinds of emotions, but just the sense of his presence. You come to realize he's not freaking out. He's not wringing his hands. He's at peace. The joy of the Lord has become in my strength. Even when people haven't changed their opinions about me, even when the statements are still in place that have been said, the things that have been done, things that are threatened, none of that is, but, but you get back in the presence of that one, you, you realize something about being in their presence, stuff just settles out. 
You trust me. You honor me. And I will take care of you. That's his heart. So, before you engage in whatever may be a challenging circumstance this week, these four things as a part of seeking first and most the kingdom. Step back away from that door, away from that keypad, away from that phone. Step back. Settle down. Listen up. And then enter in. There will be a difference. There will be a difference. There will be a difference and the way we live our lives. So Lord, we are believing that these words are true because they are written in our Bibles. We're asking that by the power of your spirit, you will give us the ability to trust you to cause these words to be true in our lives. Lord, I just ask you to break that knee-jerk cycle that we just automatically operate in the visible realm instead of the knee-jerk reflex reaction being to step back, to settle down, to listen for your voice and then to enter in. Thank you for your promise to draw us higher, to make us better, to give us what we need in the seasons of our need. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it takes two to fight. Do you know that? It takes two to fight. But if one on the other end of the fight has determined to step back, settle down, listen this way, before he or she enters, That doesn't have to be a fight just because somebody crossed your line, just because somebody offended your pride, just because somebody needs to be put in their place, and you're the one to do it. Step back. Settle down. God, you're hearing all this. You know everything that's going on. You know what I'm prone to do, what I'm liable to do. I need your power to keep me settled. Would you show me what kindness looks like in this? I really do want to please you, Lord, and I'm having a, I can be challenged with this thing of love and kindness. I, I know about wrath and lightning bolts, healing their lips shut, stuff like that. I, I can pray that way. I, I, help me, Lord. 
instead of the first word that comes out, the counterpunch fly. Be anxious for nothing, Paul said. But in everything, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but in, ev in everything, with prayer and supplication, specific kinds of requests, with thanksgiving, let your asking be made known unto the Lord. And then it says, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So where am I going to find that spot to be talking to him about those things? It probably won't be when we're toe-to-toe, tit-tat, you know, punching our way through us. Step back. Settle down. Listen up. And then enter in. Now, I know that there are going to be a few times this week when this wonderful lady right here on this front row is going to be reminding the preacher of what the preacher said this week. I know it. I just know it. We're in this together. We're in this human race together as humans. There, there, are, there is no super Christian human race. This is to work for you where you live, your job assignment, your street address, your station in life. And I believe it will. I believe it will. Lord, thank you for the time in your word. And I thank you for the way, Lord, you use your word to just expose things, to just help us see stuff that we wouldn't see otherwise. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see what lies we've been believing so we can renounce and reject those lies and cling to your truth. Thank you for the permission that you give us to seek you first and most, to seek you first and most over our jobs, over our families, over our children, over our spouses, because you've promised that if we are seeking your presence, we're seeking the things that please you, we're trusting you for power, then all these things, all these things that we would want so badly, that would, we desire for from you, those things shall be added to us. Lord, would you correct the idolatry in marriages in this room and in those who are that where we're actually seeking the favor of a wife or a husband before we're seeking the kingdom to please our king. Help us to get it. Understand, if we're pleasing you, Lord, we're going to be pleasing to a wife, a husband who is also seeking you. We will. And I pray that you would gather us as husbands and wives and families into that configuration that we're just... Lord, we just want what pleases you. We want what pleases you. Show us what that is. Take us into that place. We need your power. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen.